Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Uh, Karen's still out exploring Central Asia, but should be back in a couple weeks for a future uh, future podcast. Uh, this week, uh, I'm excited because I always get a kick out of meeting listeners, and especially when a podcast episode has helped them planning uh, a trip they're working on. And this week, uh, we're talking with Sam Minot-Smith, a listener who actually uh, listened to a past podcast, and that helped uh, shape uh, the summer bike tour he just completed. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. So first off, you know, what was the trip trip you just did? Yeah, so the, the trip I did, I, I cycled from London and the end destination was Heidelberg in, in southwest Germany. So I did London down to the uh, UK coast down at uh, Dover and then ferry across over to Dunkirk in France and then rode uh, through Bruges and um, uh, Ghent and Mechelen in Belgium into Maastricht in the Netherlands um, and then into Germany um, headed across to the Rhine to Bonn and then I headed um, upstream um, down towards it would be Koblenz and Worms and Mannheim and then I left the Rhine at Mannheim and turned um, turned east uh, over to Heidelberg. And you mentioned uh, to me that you actually had listened to one of our one of our podcasts to you know help you as you were planning this how did how did that work out yeah that's right so it was a it's a, a bike tour that i was doing so um i've done some tours in the past but never this sort of distance or or duration um and so really i, I made a bold commitment to try and get to a friend's house in heidelberg and i was just looking for inspiration tips guidance um I did some podcast searching and I, I found 10 adventures. I listened to a few of those. The most important one would have been a gent who cycled from uh, the British South Coast. I think it was either Brighton or Bournemouth, this escaped me now, through to Budapest. And, um, and I thought, well, that's a similar distance to what I'm doing. Um, a bit more, to be frank. And I thought well, that'd be a good place to get some tips. And I did. I got some tips on camping and, and where to find uh, um, hotels and that kind of thing. So it gave me some good inspiration. And it was very helpful. So, um, yeah, that, that's how I stumbled across this uh, this system. And so you mentioned this was your biggest trip to date. You know, what inspired you to go from, you know, kind of shorter trips to to do something that was, I think this took you about, was it about two weeks? This was, I, I did 12 days of cycling. So it was um, it was 12 days all in all, um, about a thousand kilometers. So in, in terms of why, I'm, I'm still not completely sure why. I mean, I've always had a bit of a, lust for adventure in any format. So I, I quite like a, a decent trip, a decent bit of adventure. And, and I like my bicycles and I've cycled a fair amount um, in terms of decent distances throughout my 20s and I'm, I'm in my high 30s now. So I've had a good experience of that. And so really, I just wanted to see, it is a bit of a personal challenge. Can I do it? Can I get that far? Bit of a test for myself but also just that adventure experience. Um, so those are the two drivers, really. Can I do it and enjoying the adventure on the way? And I think the facilitator to it was, unfortunate. I've got a, a university friend who I've known for a very long time. 
and um, she's a family friend, so she's friends with my wife as well, and my family, and she lives in Heidelberg. It was a natural option. You know, I could cycle there, I could stay there, I could then have a family holiday there with my family could come over. And between that sort of adventure, test if I could do it, and having somebody in Germany, that's what sort of made me do that trip. Yeah, it's funny how these things always kind of come together. And uh, one of the things I always hear people say is just be open to, to say yes to things. It sounds like that's, you know, you kind of want to do it and just the idea hit you. You said, yeah, let's let's push the boundaries and, and see if I can do it. Yeah, that was it. There was nothing more academic or smart than that, really. It's something that evolved over time. And almost I, I, I made a rod for my own back. I, I mentioned it once. And, um, and then it's hard to back out, isn't it? Once you've sort of come up with the idea, you don't really want to back out. So... Uh, yeah, those are my reasons. And so when you're planning your route, did you get down and like plan each day the route and where you're going to stay? Or was it still kind of flexible that you were had a bit of freedom each day? I am a natural planner, in honesty. It's, people don't find that, that interesting, really. People, I think, want to be spontaneous. But I'm a natural planner. That's, that's, my, that's my background. That's my job. I, I, I manage things perhaps a bit too much. Um, so this... So f- so I managed it the best I could. The first group of days I managed, including hotels and uh, uh, trains and, and ferries, I managed that quite meticulously um, because there was a window that I had to achieve. So, for example, I had to get the ferry at a set time. I booked it for two o'clock in the afternoon on the Monday. So I had to reach that. So I had to be within striking distance of that the day before. And that made a trip to London and then a route out to Maidstone, um, pretty concrete and then the ferry was obviously set in stone and then I'd arrive at a set time so I might as well get a hotel in Dunkirk so that whole section was was pretty much booked um, so I booked all the hotels and things I then booked a campsite in Bruges because I didn't want to do a long day I wanted to get to Bruges and have a mooch around Bruges for a bit that was a bit of one of the key things of the trip so I booked from London up to Bruges um, entirely so that would have been uh, one, two, um, that would be three days entirely. And then after the three days, it was it was open. It was loose because I didn't know, having not done this kind of distance before, I didn't know if I'd be tired or my knees would hurt or my, my neck would hurt and I need a day off. Um, so I didn't book anything else after that. I had some ideas of distances and places, um, but I didn't book anything. So the first third was pretty concrete and the rest was flexible. Um, but I say flexible, I did know my route. I knew that I was going to cycle, you know, I was going to hit the Rhine at Bonn, for example. I knew that, um, but I didn't know what day I would get there. Um, and in terms of route planning, I had like a master route. So I knew I would go through each of these towns. I knew I'd go to Dover because of the ferry. I knew I'd cycle to... Um, Bruges and um, Maastricht and Bonn um, and I knew I'd cycle down the Rhine but I didn't have a set route every day I just had like a, a master plan and then depending where I stopped when I got tired I could pick up the route from there pick up the plan from there um, so it, it was less regimented than my normal mindset um, which I found quite nice actually I found that quite refreshing I noticed on your uh, your uh, Instagram, you had some photos of camping. You mentioned staying in hotels as well. Uh, for the less regimented part, were you staying in kind of official campgrounds? Were you, you know, just wild camping, finding a nice place that you liked and just set up tent in the woods? I, I didn't do any wild camping 
So wild camping is probably illegal, if I'm frank, um, if not just frowned upon. Um, and I didn't want I didn't want to do that, really. Um, and when I was in the less regimented bits, I, I just used just used Google to find campsites. And I didn't stay in a lot of campsites. I only camped three times. Um, and that was really along the Rhine because it was so easy. You know, you just you just cycle till you get tired. And within 10K on the Rhine, there seems to be a campsite. It's dead easy. Um, so that was fine. And then I just used booking.com a lot. Really easy. And I know that's a bit um, faceless corporation, but it was just so convenient. You know, the, the system I sort of employed was I'd stop about three o'clock in the afternoon. I'd find somewhere with Wi-Fi. You know, places like Little do you Wi-Fi for free. And you go in there, you grab a snack and a can of Coke and sit in the lobby and find a hotel 20K down the road. And, and that worked really easy. I didn't have any trouble at all. Um, just as long as you build the process, you've got to, you know, I'll stop at this sort of time. I see how I feel. I, if I'm strong, I carry on. If I'm weaker, I'll stop for a bit. Look on booking.com, look on Google for a campsite. And really, it didn't take long. I was surprised how easy it was just to find somewhere to stay. Um, it helps if you can afford it, of course. You know, it helps if you've got a bit of money for the, the campsite, so a bit of saving up's useful or for the hotels. But yeah, that, that was my system. It was quite quite fluid later on. You had both the camping gear and you stayed in hotels. Looking back, would you have brought all the camping gear as well or would you have just you know taken out the weight and just stayed in hotels the entire time? I think I probably did a decent balance because of my camping gear, I didn't really take much. I took a roll mat, a really thin sleeping bag and a one-man tent. I'm, um, I'm only 5'7", I don't need a big tent. So it was small, you know, it was like 1.2 kilos. Tiny roll mat, air inflated roll mat, and a tiny sleeping bag and a head torch. Didn't take any cooking stuff. Didn't take any sort of cold weather winter gear. Didn't take any any hammers or mallets or anything of that nature. No clothes lines, nothing. So really, my whole camping setup was was a few kilos, three kilos, nothing much. And it just gave you so much flexibility. Um, just with the campsites in Europe, it was so easy that I I felt less stressed by having the other option, by having an option to just roll the, the tent out if I needed to. Um, so yeah, I, I probably did what I needed to, but if the trip was any longer, I would have had to have taken proper gear, proper camping gear. I wanted to have cooked, for example, in the evening or, or got a kettle out and boiled some tea, but because it was a short trip, I didn't need to do any of that. And the only other one I did, which I, I'd like to bring up, is I used um, warm showers I stayed with two very good hosts. Um, the Love Groves, Julie and Mark, um, down in Kent, were great. You know, Julie and Mark gave me such a nice welcome and looked after me so well. It was a great experience down in Kent. And then um, I stayed in Masterick, um with a Warm Showers host, um, Levique and um, Vonk, who, who again looked after me very well. It was a great experience because you're on the road a long time on your own, aren't you? And it's nice to sort of check in with somebody just for a chat. And, and both of my stays were great. So I think a combination of a combination worked really well for me. So we've actually had lots of lots of guests who use warm showers, some of them like going around the world using, you know, warm showers, kind of like for half the time. For people that don't know, like what's the experience? How does warm showers work in terms of finding a place to stay? And then once you're there, how does it work? Yeah, so it's, it's effectively a, a website where you find people who volunteer um, some form of space for you to stay. Maybe it's a garden, maybe it's a bedroom. Um, mostly on warm showers, it's a, it's a, a bed or a, a roll mat or something in the front room. 
Um, and as the name suggests, they offer you a shower um, and, a, and a safe place to be. It's all voluntary. Um, and usually it's people that have done something similar themselves. So they're sort of looking to pay back the hospitality that they received or get a few credits in the bank for when they go traveling in the, uh, in the Karma Bank. And yeah, you, you, you arrive at somebody's house. What you've got to do is, is either on the road or before you go, uh, use the Warm Showers website. I just search on their map, you know, where I think I'm going to be. Um, you can click on a, on a name and message them. Um, Hi, this is what I'm doing. This is when I'm going to be near you. Can I stay? And, um, and some people, you know, some people might ignore you or some people might not be available. Um, but some will, will offer and say, yeah, we're, we're, we're home. Come along. Quite often they cook you some dinner and then you, you just fulfill the moral duty, don't you? So maybe you buy a bit of, bit of dessert or you clean up or help with the cooking. And then you share stories and experiences, which is great. You just meet nice people who are interested in the same things as you. It's it's there's a very good system, I must admit. I was, my first ever go, I was a bit anxious, you know, because if you, you, taking what I've everything I've said, you could just read it as staying with strangers, which is a worry. Um, but my experiences were fantastic. Couldn't have been better. It's funny how you describe that. It is, you know, lots of people say, well, like, but you don't know the people. You know, what if you have no, nothing in common, but you do have something in common. They've, you know, likely done a big journey. You're doing uh, a big journey. It's it's like um, I'm in a hiking club and every time we go, it's a bunch of people I don't know. But invariably, we all share a passion for the outdoors and for the mountains. And uh, everyone has a, like, you know, completely different life. You know, some people are young, some are retired, some are jobs, everything from, you know, high powered business exec down to like, you know, unemployed or mail mailmen male people um but because you have that one shared love it makes discussion and chatting really easy so sam i haven't ridden the route you've done but you know i know a lot of people are always concerned about what the paths are like is it a bike path is it a just is it on quiet roads is it on busy roads for the route you did do you can you maybe just share what the different uh different trails are like yeah sure so the first big section was through london which was farther than I expected, in honesty. I've, I've ridden around London a few times in my life, um, but it seems that uh, the infrastructure certainly improved. Um, Britain gets a bad reputation for cycling, but it's not not as bad as people make out, I wouldn't say. Um, so that was fine through London. To be frank, it was on a Sunday, so it wasn't like Tuesday morning rush hour. Um, so that was fine. And then out into the Kent countryside, so predominantly quiet lanes in the Kent countryside, which is lovely. Um, so shared traffic um, routes, absolutely fine. Once you got get into France and Belgium, there was a lot more bike paths, segregated bike paths um, and quiet lanes. So it seems that through towns, it's segregated bike paths. And then once you get out of the city or the town, you're onto fairly quiet rural lanes. There was a stretch between uh, Ghent and Mikellen or Mikellen. Um, where I was on busy roads, but there was a bike path next to a busy road, a tarmac, hard surface bike path. It wasn't very inspiring, that route, because um, it's quite busy roads, but it, it was quick. And, um, and on that day, it was horrendous rain, so I was grateful for it. That carried on uh, through the Netherlands, just the same. Once you get to Germany, rural Germany, no different to the rest of the continent of the UK. Nice roads, tarmac roads, fairly quiet. And then when you get to the Rhine ride in Bonn, where I hit it, it's segregated roads, hard segregated um, bike paths, sorry, nearly exclusively on the bank of the Rhine. Um, hard surfaced again, but not all tarmac, some sort of um, paved 
sections, um, some cobbles in towns, but nearly always hard surfaced. The surface of the whole way, I barely hit any gravel. There were a few sections of gravel in Germany. That may have been because I went the wrong way for a few moments, um, but really it was quite good, quite good hard surface the whole way, which I, I found very helpful. I, I was prepared for a bit of worse surfacing. I, I bought some proper um, wheels made by Hunt, which is, um, I think they're a British brand, which are bike packing wheels. So they had a maximum capacity of 130 kilos for off-road riding. So they were, they were good bomb-proof wheels. And I put some bigger tires on, some 32 mil tires. And between that, um, those wheels and the tires, all the surfaces I hit were, were fine. Um, didn't break any spokes, no punches, nothing. So um, it went fine. Uh, wicked. And what type of bike were you using? Were you using a dedicated touring bike or did you cobble together your kind of regular rider? I've got a, a Triban um, 520 RC, which uh, which my friends always laugh at me because I tell them consistently it's the best bike in the world. Because within within reason, it'll do anything. It's not expensive. Um, it's relatively cheap. Aluminium frame, bomb-proof. Um, but I did stick some, some proper wheels on it, as I say. So it's... Uh, it's a road bike, but it's quite a relaxed geometry, relatively upright, comfortable, tough machine. Um, pannier rack on the back, two 15-litre panniers on the back uh, with my gear in, and then a small roll bag on the front, which I put my little tent on just to take some of the weight off the back of the bike. And, uh, and that was it. Worked fine. That sounds great. Yeah, I know it's... Uh, I know some people... I've met some people, they've... They've done long uh, bike tours and they're just on like a standard road but road bike and they'll have like a like a little bum bag or I've even seen people wearing backpacks and I think God that's that's not going to be comfortable for like eight hours six or eight hours a day day after day with a backpack and just just find something's going to be more comfortable. Backpacks not for me. I like to keep the weight um, off me. That's that's my preference. Yeah, I'm with you there. So think of this whole trip like. For someone who hasn't done a trip like this, like what are the best parts? Like, you know, what what brought you joy when you think back of, of at this trip? Well, I think it was really it was the the adventure is great um, because really it's it's one person against the road um, and that's it. Once you're overseas, once you're over the channel for an English guy, um, you don't have that safety net. You know, nobody's come to pick you up. Um, you know, it's it's just you against route. And, and that's quite a good sort of challenge and a good feeling. You know, can you do it on your own? Can you sort everything out? Can you fix any mechanicals? When things go wrong, do you have the ability to solve the problem? And that's good. It's quite good fun, just looking after yourself. So that's one good thing, just the adventure and the challenge. The next good thing is exactly the same. When you're on your own, you're your own master. So if you want to stop for a bit in, in town, that's fine. If, you want, if you're feeling strong, you want to push on for an extra hour, it's only you you've got to convince. So there's, you don't have to decide things in a committee. Um, so that's good. And then it's just, I, I often think of the little wins. You know, the, the world's full of you know, everyone chasing big wins all the time, but little wins are great. So you, you stumble across an interesting coffee shop. You think this is great. I'm really enjoying this or you stumble across a nice route or a nice view and and you'd never find it if you you know it, it's easy to get in a plane and fly to Singapore and look at a tower because it's it's there isn't it but finding a small interesting coffee shop 
is harder. Um, and you're forced to meet interesting people as well. So because you're on a bike with all your gear in a funny country, um, away from home, people gravitate to you. You want to have a conversation because um, lots of people like these sorts of things. And you'd be surprised how often you'll just be stood ordering a panini somewhere. And somebody go, oh, I've looked at your bike. Are you off somewhere? And then, and then that's half an hour of nice conversation with a stranger. So all of those are good things. And a feeling of achievement as well. You know, like um, you can look back and go, well, I've done that. I've ridden, I've ridden a thousand kilometers. And you feel, you feel that you've done something valuable. Um, so lot, lots of good things, really. Lots of good things that come out of it. Um, and you get time as well, a bit of time, whatever it to uh, decompress or, or um, think about aspects that normally your subconscious wouldn't get to. So um, you get a bit of time, a bit of time, a bit of time to sort things out in your mind. It's funny, you've expressed that perfectly uh, from what I feel when I do these big trips as well. But what I haven't framed right is the way you talk about these little wins. And you're right, it's like, oh, there's a bakery here. And look at, I've never seen, I've never seen this before. Oh man, this is the best espresso I've ever had. And oh, you know, you go into a supermarket and there's some weird, I always like trying weird food and stuff. Uh, but you're right. It's all these little things that by themselves are kind of kind of pointless. But in our day to day life, they're like little surprises. They're like little gifts. And when you're doing these trips, you get dozens of those a day. You know, you find a great campsite or, you know, and in our regular life, we kind of know, OK, I'm going to go and get, you know, I'm going to get on the train. I'll get my coffee in the train station. I'll get to work. And, you know, we don't have these kind of epiphanies of, you know, this 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 great little little aspect. I had a little collection of, of good moments in a short period of time. I. I, I had a, a ride, it was a soaking wet day, it was terrible, everything got soaked, so I was a bit miserable. Um, but then I stumbled across like a sunken um, route through a lake in Belgium. Um, it was uh, it was like a sunken bridge almost, so so the, the roadway was depressed into the lake surface. So you looked left and, and you were at the same level as the water level as you were cycling through because you were, you know, a metre and a half below water level. And that was that was great, and and I knew it was there because I sort of planned the route. But when you got there, it was lovely, and then you just get out the other side of this sunken um, sunken route, which is lovely. And there was a lovely coffee shop, and it was um, in the middle of a, a nice old um, Belgium manor, and it was just a collection of lovely events that that you wouldn't experience unless you're on a bicycle. And and that was great. That sort of summed up those little wins. Uh, yeah, I've never even heard of a, a sunken route with the with the lake right beside you. And then you have a coffee at the end. What what a, what a better way to to do things. A lot of people they get distracted when they go on these trips. They're trying to maintain their home life. They're answering emails at the end of the day. Did you try and do that as well, or was this just disconnect? You know, and not worry about your kind of day to day job and and responsibilities. No, I didn't. I didn't completely disconnect. I did take my work phone and I did a few emails and a few calls and. And I didn't have to. My company are very um, sensible and kind with that sort of thing. But I, I like to stay involved. Um, I didn't do 50 emails a day. I did two or three that were necessary. Um, and I probably took two calls in two weeks. You know, it wasn't much. But I did enough to keep things spinning um, or to progress some of the, the, the urgent actions. So, so I did a little bit of work, yes. And I, I, I do the same again just because that's that's sort of how I like to be. Um, and I'm a, I'm a husband and a father of two, um, and I've got no intention of 
shutting off from that and I wouldn't have the chance anyway, even if I wanted to. So I still contacted home every day, um, you know, video calls or, or messages to my to my wife as well. So I, I, I never sort of completely detached, um, nor did I want to, but I certainly had plenty of time to be something different on the trip. Um, so it was good. It was a good mix, really. It suited me. And then lastly, so you've, you've done this thousand kilometer trip. Do you now think, hey, can I do a 2000 kilometer trip? Do you think of doing more or, you know, involving your your family on a new trip or or is this, you know, where does it go next? Yeah. And, and I'm not I'm not sure where it goes next for me individually, because I, I sort of get moments where I go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll cycle to Italy then. You know, I've got that far. I'll, I'll ride to Italy now. Um, you think, well, I could probably do that. And then the, the the mind starts working on it. And you go, oh, well, I probably need a different bike so I can get over the Alps. And, and that carries on. Um, but but really, you've got I've got to be acutely aware, as we all do, that I've got many responsibilities. And, and it is a selfish hobby. Um, cycling a long way on your own does put a lot of strain on other people. So my wife looked after my two children, six and seven, um, while I was off having a good time, you know, that that's a way to sum it up, isn't it? So I, I need to be aware that it's not always acceptable for, for me to take that sort of attitude. Um, so I wouldn't plan very long trips in the very near future, but I will always want to do something. Um, I'll probably go back to doing what I've done historically. So three, four days up to North Wales or over to Paris and back. That's a bit more manageable for everybody. And we've um, we've also discussed getting the family involved. So there's a, a coast to coast route in England um, across Devon and uh, a bit of Cornwall, mainly Devon, um, which the family could do. It's about 100 miles. So um, next summer, my wife and my children will be that year older. Um, so we try that. That's part of the thought. We try and do a, a bit of a family cycle route. Um, but I've always got those aspirations to do a bit more. And I think the most realistic independent one would be um, something like Prague to Budapest, because it's about 700 kilometers. There's a big airport at either end, so it's relatively doable. Um, I got engaged in Prague, so there's a bit of meaning there. Um, and so something like that's more than doable. Um, something confined to a week, because this this was a bit longer. My current trip was a bit longer. Um, so yeah, some, something in there, definitely shorter trips, you know, up to four days and quite possibly longer ones as well. And definitely a family trip. Uh, we just, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a couple and they cycled around the world when their daughters were eight and 11 or seven and 10. And uh, my kids are seven to 11. And I just thought, oh my God, I couldn't imagine my kids on, you know, busy roads in India or, you know, Southeast Asia. Um, but it was incredible to hear their stories. They kind of just explored the world for, I think, 15 months on bikes. And uh, uh, that's that's beyond my comfort level. But I'm like you, you know, planning uh, planning trips we can do with the kids is a, is a ton of fun. And like introducing them to longer trips uh, is definitely something that's important important to me. But, you know, starting starting shorter to begin with because I don't want to kill them on their first trip. I, I, I'm with you. Yeah, I understand that. I certainly do. Uh, well, Sam, this was great hearing uh, about your trip, and I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. 
Uh, and hopefully other people will, will hear this and think, oh, well, I'm going to go and ride, you know, r- do a do a bike ride in Europe and maybe I'll ride from Belgium to to, to Germany as well. Uh, or just do a, do a trip around around the UK. I certainly would. It just It's one of those things that you can spend a long time thinking about it, but it, it is worth it. It's a good it's a good thing to undertake. I couldn't agree more. If you want to see some of Sam's photos, you can find them on Instagram at Sam underscore MS. Uh, and Sam, just thanks a lot for being on the podcast. It was great having you and, and hearing about your story. No problem. Not a problem at all. Thank you. And with that, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week to explore the world and hear more epic adventures. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. If you liked it, why not give us a review? Better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure. Adventure.